All right. Today we've got Alex Kaloff. Alex, thanks so much for joining. Thanks a lot, Joe. And I think I speak for everyone to say thanks for doing this. It's been great. And you've been great. That's enough of that. All right. Standard first question. Uh, Refresh our memory. What did you do before you started INSEAD? And what have you been up to for the last 20 years? Sure. Um, So before INSEAD, I was primarily doing consulting. Uh, In the few years just prior to INSEAD, I was at Booz Allen Hamilton doing strategy consulting. My background is really in the telecommunications industry, and this was in the late 90s. Um, I had experience as a telecom engineer, and this was obviously during the boom of the internet, and got to uh, work on a number of projects internationally. So being from the US, they sent me over to Madrid, to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, to Vienna, Austria, amongst a couple of other places. And that's how I actually learned about INSEAD. I worked with a number of people that had attended INSEAD and recommended to me if I ever thought about going to business school, I might want to check it out. One thing led to another. I actually went, checked it out. It was the only school I applied to, was fortunate enough to get in. And that's that's how I ended up there. Um, having done consulting prior to school, uh, part of the reason I went back to get my MBA was to make a career change. I wanted to get into finance. I, I was always interested in either investment banking or private equity, knew I wanted to go back to New York after school. And that's what I did. I Interestingly, I, um, I moved back to New York without a job. I didn't really you know, do the on-campus recruiting because there weren't many people hiring for investment banking in New York uh, when we were there. And I was scrapping around, trying to be aggressive, finding a job, get my foot in the door. And interestingly enough, I have uh, Reshma to thanks because before she went to INSEAD, she worked at a boutique investment bank that was then acquired while, I guess, while we were at INSEAD by uh, the, the firm Jefferies. And she sent an email around to our class and said, is anyone interested in interviewing? They're looking to hire to kind of regrow now that the, that firm had been acquired. So I said, yes, I interviewed, I got the job the next. Uh, so thank you, Reshma. I still owe you. Uh, <laughs> the next 14 years I spent at Jeffrey's uh, doing telecommunications investment banking. I was fortunate enough the last three years I was there, I was running the global investment, uh, investment banking group focused on the telecoms industry. Then I left in 2017, uh, on my own volition. Well, let's, let, let's, let, let, let's, let's go into that a little bit more. Um, can, you, can you tell the layperson like myself, like, what exactly does an investment banker do, aside from complain about having to fly commercial? Sure. Uh, it's basically what I was doing, and I think when people think of investment banking, at least within um, the advisory side of the business, it, it is advising on mergers and acquisitions. So either helping other companies or, or financial sponsors, private equity firms acquire businesses or invest in other businesses or help them sell a business. So that would be the M&A portion. And then oftentimes, uh, particularly in telecommunications, it's such a capital intensive industry, they're perpetually raising debt and equity capital. So working on uh, both in the private and public markets for debt and equity there's also restructuring. And then, of course, there's a whole other side of investment banking, sales and trading. But that's not what I was focused on. 
Okay. Okay. So it's, it's uh, like a real estate agent for a business. Exactly. Gotcha. Exactly. Gotcha. Glorified real estate agent. Yeah. So I left. Um, I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do next, uh, but I, I knew I wanted to make a change after 14 years of grinding it out. And uh, as good fortune would have it, I met up with uh, my now business partner. He is someone I got to know through uh, a banking relationship. I would, he was an owner entrepreneur of, of data center infrastructure, very successful guy. We're about the same age. He had just sold his second company that had been private equity backed. He actually reached out to me to grab a, a drink. We got together. I said, what are you going to do, retire? And he was, I guess, 42, 43 at the time. He said, well, I'm going to take some time off and then think about what's next. And I, I confided in him that, in fact, I was in the process of leaving banking. So let's keep in touch. One thing led to another, and I joined him six months later, was employee number one at a new private equity firm we started called SDC Capital Partners. I've been there. It's now just over six years. And I think, as you know, Joe, we've talked about it. I'm, I'm sort of tapering off my time. And after the end of this year, so really in the next five weeks or so, I'm going to move more as a senior advisor rather than a partner to the firm and uh, see what's next after that. This is okay. This is really interesting. So, did did you you obviously left your investment banking job after you had this sort of life raft inflated? Um, would would you have? Were you going to leave anyway? And 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 you know whether or not you had something to go to, or uh, or did this sort of you know was a nice impetus to to let you kind of walk out the door? Yeah. So I did not have this lined up when I left Jeffries. It it really was. I I was fortunate that you know. I didn't have any obligations in terms of a family. I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. I had done fairly well financially, and it was just me while I was in uh, banking. So I was just going to take time off and figure out what was next. And it just so happened to coincide with, and I had a, I had a garden leave period um, from leaving Jeffrey. So it was during that garden leave, I guess it was five months or so, where I technically was sort of still working for Jeffries, but not really. And that allowed me the time and space to get together with people, talk about, hey, what could potentially be next? And then this just, as I said, sort of fell in my lap. So it worked out perfectly, but it was it was completely, you know, lucky. Cool. Although I suspect there were a number of other uh Things that could have happened that that that, that sure. would have uh, that, that's 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 uh, the nature of, of doing what you're doing. Um, so you started this this or you call yourself the first employee. That sounds a little humble uh, of of this uh, of this private equity firm. Uh, and now it's I, I took a peek at their at their team page. There's quite a few people there. Talk about yeah. what it's like being being early and and what the things you had to do and, and what what you're doing now or or going to stop doing now. Sure. So. Uh, you know, it's an interesting time. We we um, we invest in, I guess, what we say, digital infrastructure. To me, that's kind of telecommunications infrastructure. Uh, we focus on three areas, data center infrastructure, so the actual physical buildings of data centers, um, fiber networks, so the actual physical networks in the ground or in the air, and then uh, anything related to wireless infrastructure. That could be raw wireless spectrum. And hold on, was was that the plan from day one, or have you sort of have you sort of like figured out and, and refined that strategy? Yeah, that was the plan from day one. Although day one, our 
primary focus was going to be on data centers because that's what my partner had done very successfully in two prior companies he had started, although those were companies that he started, not a private equity focused fund. So um, we did that. We were able to raise our first fund was $400 million. We, we were at the right place at the right time. This was in really the beginning of 2018. So, you know, a couple of years prior to the pandemic. But then once the pandemic hit and everyone went sort of remote, they needed internet connectivity. And so what we were investing in was exactly the enabling infrastructure to enable, you know, the cloud, uh, remote work, et cetera, et cetera. So we were truly at the right place at the right time. That then has subsequently led, we, we went out and we raised a fund too. That was $750 million in size. That was in 2020. We subsequently went out and raised uh, $1.5 billion after that in fund three. Um, and that was, I guess, about a year ago. And now we're out raising fund four, which will be larger than fund three. But the progression there and the success we've had is really around um, the proliferation of data center infrastructure globally. And it, it is truly the house that houses the cloud and where the cloud lives. And so we had uh, the pandemic as a big driver, which then led to increasing capital requirements for these facilities we were investing in and building, hence the larger funds we were raising. And now on the sort of the, the dawn of AI is really the next driver of growth in the industry, which is why we're out raising fund four now. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. You've really been kind of ahead of these massive, massive waves. Now let's go back to the inception of this thing. Um, just, just by looking at your profile and, and hearing what you said about this guy, it sounds like you were sort of the finance person. He was the operations person in this fund. Is that, is that fair or is, is it, was it more complicated? Was it more nuanced than that? I, th I think so. He had been a heads down operator, you know, building these two businesses and then exi exiting them kind of over the previous 20 years before we started this. Whereas I was very, I, I mean, my experience was in fundraising, was more broad than just data centers. So I had a lot of experience in the fiber side and the wireless side, which he had less of. Um, and I had a pretty extensive, which he, he recognized and valued global network, not least of which was partly from INSEAD, obviously. Um, and then also 14 years in, in banking in this sector, you know, running a global group where we were executing transactions globally. So I think that's what, uh, you know, attracted um, it, me to him in his eyes. And then it was just a very good complement where our, our skill sets and our experience jointly was just a very good fit. Uh, how long had you guys known each other before you got into bed together? Uh so interestingly, I, we'd probably known each other for three or four years, but it turned out uh, we both happened to live in the West Village in, in New York City. And one, one night we ran into each other um, in, in our lobby, notwithstanding your, your little quip there about getting into bed together. But, uh, but we, um, we were like, hey, what are you doing in the building? And it turned out we both lived in the building. So... Um, so from then on, we sort of, uh, we got to know each other more socially. I got to know his wife and kids. In fact, 
Um, I hope he doesn't see this, but Brett Bombush dated his wife in high school, actually. So talk <laughs> oh, about a small wow. world. Whoa. Um, okay. So yeah, so we got to know each other socially as well as as through work, and that that helps solidify our relationship over time. There's there are thing there are bad things you can say about someone's wife, and then there's that <laughs> you can say about their wife. That's uh, that's, yeah. that's horrible. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss for words right now. Um, so what, what is, what is next, um, in the works for you or, or, you know, finally take that time off that you were trying to take seven years ago? You know, it's interesting because my whole career has been in, in the telecommunications industry. Um, and so why have the good fortune to take time off, um, and not have to think about telecom any longer. Although I love the industry, it's nice to look at potentially doing something different. So I have a number of sort of pet projects, hobbies that I've already been pursuing. And it, it, some of them have to do with, I'm living in Aspen, Colorado, right? Or now sort of between New York and Aspen, but Aspen is more full-time home. And some of it has to do with local development, uh, public-private partnerships where effectively I'm volunteering my time. I mean, maybe there'll be ways to build a business and make money over time, but that's not really the goal. I just have an interest in it, um, particularly as our aging infrastructure, not just telecom, but other aging infrastructure needs to be upgraded. I think I can bring some of my experience to bear there. So that's one thing I'm working on. There are a couple different projects there. Um, there's a there's a think tank here in Aspen called the Aspen Institute. Some of the listeners may know of it. They, they put on a kind of a Davos-like um, conference every summer called the Aspen Ideas Festival. And uh, what I've been trying to promote, and I've talked to some of our, our classmates about this and some people in the NCAD administration is, is there an opportunity for NCAD to partner with the Aspen Ideas Festival to bring a presence uh uh, of NCAD to the festival, which NCAD does today actually at the World Economic Forum in Davos. So it'd be something similar just doing it here in Aspen. And, and for Aspen Institute, it would help, if you will, internationalize kind of um, membership at the Aspen Institute and help bring a more international global perspective to the Institute. Um, and so that's something that I'm just working on. I had dinner the other night with the president of the Aspen Institute talking about this. I've, I've spoke when we were back on campus for our 20th reunion, 20 year reunion about this with some of the administration. So yeah, it's a bunch of different projects that I just have interest in and am somewhat passionate about. Well, but it sounds like you're, you're, you're in Aspen for the foreseeable future. That, that's your new home. It is. Uh, the lifestyle is good out here. I like to ski. I'll certainly be here over the winter. If anyone's headed this way, Joe, you'll have to come out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think between between Aspen primarily and then I get back to New York fairly frequently. Great. Uh, let's do some of the uh, rapid fire questions. Uh, so what do you wish you had known 20 years ago as you were uh, you know, walking out of NCAA on your way to New York to look for a job? Yeah. So I, I was thinking about this question, having listened to the other interviews, podcasts you've done. You know, I don't think I have a great answer other than to say, I guess I've been the type of person that just kind of goes with the flow. 
And so, you know, I'm fortunate and happy and thankful where I've ended up to date. So I'm not sure looking back that, um, one, I wouldn't have necessarily imagined that this would have been where it led me, but I didn't really think about it, you know? Um, and so I'm not sure in hindsight, uh, that I would have done anything different or I have any lessons learned from it. Just like my, the next chapter, which I don't really know other than pursuing passion projects, we'll see where it takes me and, you know, try to adjust along the way. All right. You've, you've probably already answered this question. It has to do with telling your co-founder that his wife used to date um, that guy, <laughs> but what, what was, uh, what was your biggest professional mistake? Do you think? Um. You know, and also thinking about this question, I, everyone makes mistakes along the way. I certainly have no exception, but I don't necessarily look at them as they were. They, they certainly weren't career ending, thankfully. Um, I think I would say I never really had a mentor. So in hindsight, it would have been great when I initially got into banking at Jeffries to really find a mentor that could have mentored, coached me, been a sounding board over time. And even now, on to the next chapter, whatever that really may be, it'd be great to have that dialogue with someone that, you know, sort of had a similar journey, but was wizened through experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just never had one. And I continue to unfortunately never had one. And maybe, well, that's, I, a, maybe that's a mistake I've made. But it's, it's, a, it's really, I've heard that a lot of people, um, and, and I actually, I, I, early in my career, I sought one out and never really found one. Uh, how are you doing anything to sort of, maybe reverse the table and try to, now that you're a little bit older, try to find people you can mentor? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I always try and volunteer my time and, and, and play that, you know, I've never been a formal mentor in that sense where you're kind of checking in on a regular basis and tracking someone's career and helping to try and guide that and hopefully provide some, a decent sounding board. Um, so I certainly try and do that, although I'm not a formal mentor to anyone. Uh, maybe that's a good thing. Um, and, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think it's too late, right, for me to find a mentor. So I almost feel like in moving to this next chapter, I hope, I hope maybe I have more time to work on that and find someone that might be really retired, but have, you know, had a long career um, and can, you know, be a, be a mentor in that way. It, it, and that's a good segue and you may have already answered this question as well, but, uh, cause you, you might be doing it right now, but what do you think retirement looks like? I think, you know, I'll always remain busy. Um, I think hopefully it involves a lot of global travel and seeing a lot of people that may end up listening to this podcast or from our class or other promotions. Um, and just generally stay interested and engaged with things uh, that have a global international nature. I've sort of dabbled with politics, thinking about maybe getting into that. It's not the greatest time in, I think, the U.S. right now uh, with respect to the political landscape, although I'm sure many of our, our, our colleagues from other countries would probably say that about their countries as well. But, but we'll see. I mean, politics potentially could be in the future, but either way, it, it will, you know, I hope to just stay engaged uh, and find new interests. I, I find that fascinating because I, I couldn't imagine a, 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 a something that is less attractive to me than, than getting into that, that, uh, that swamp. What about, is, is it truly a, I'm, I want to make the world a better place 
uh, thing that, that makes you want to get into politics? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question because I think I would answer it by saying that I've had experience that I think hopefully I could bring to help improve, um, not to be arrogant about it, I mean, but like society, help people out, et mm -hmm. cetera, et cetera. But, you know, like I, I said in one of your earlier questions, getting involved in some of the stuff here locally in Aspen is another way to do that. So you don't necessarily have to go, go hold national office to try and make a difference and bring that experience to bear and create opportunity for people where maybe there wasn't something there before. I mean, again, the NCAD Aspen Institute idea is, is trying to do that as well. Create a win-win for, for both constituencies, try and create something that everyone would really like and enjoy. I mean, that's less sort of politically focused, obvious, but but it's another way to try and make a difference in, in, in do new things that, that could be interesting. Yeah. 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 Think local. All right. Last question. And it's kind of, it's kind of two parts. Um, is there anything that the community can do to help you with what you're um, doing and vice versa? What, what are you able to, aside from a free place to stay in Aspen, which I will take you up on, <laughs> what are you, what are you able to do to help the community? Um, so look on the latter part of your question, I'm happy to, be a sounding board, uh, share my experience. I think I have some expertise in the telecoms industry, having done it for 25 years. So always happy to, to be a resource there. And I'll have more time come January 1st to do that. So, you know, please, no one hesitate to reach out. Uh, on the former question, um, it, it's kind of one and the same. Like, I, you know, just being available for a chat. I've never, and I've heard... You know, everyone says this, particularly within the NCAD community, like that they've ever reached out to someone and someone said, no, I don't have time to talk. Um, Joe, mm -hmm. you just put me in touch with someone the other day that's been gracious with their time uh, to talk about some ideas. So, I, you know, just encourage people to be open. And, you know, further to that point, um, because I've been involved like you are right now with with the alumni, just encouraging people to stay connected and do things that they can do to help continue to foster the alumni community, uh, create even more stature for the school because that benefits us all and hopefully create, and I know there's been a lot of activity following our reunion about how to stay engaged and stuff. So um, anything I can do to help that and just also encouraging people to not you know, just because we were back at the reunion last month, six months from now, don't forget about that. Let's continue to all try and stay engaged and find ways um, to come together, whether that be common causes or however you want to contribute. I just encourage people to contribute in that way. Amen. That's a wonderful note to end on. Thanks. Thanks. Good talking. Thanks a lot, Joe. Bye.